Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for young people like Joel that are thinking about your kingdom, not just about their 401k and their mortgage, um, and they want to serve you. And, and Lord, even when we do stay home and mess with the mortgage and a 401k, we can still be kingdom people. And I just thank you. Help us all to seek first your kingdom, your righteousness. Bless Joel and all the decisions he has to make. Whatever he chooses to do, I pray he'd be on the front line. Uh, thank you for this experience. Um, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be here with us this morning. You'd equip us well so that we can go out and be those lights to the nations, whether we're here, whether we're on the other side of the world. Um, join us this morning. Speak to our hearts. We just pray, Lord God, you would uh, help us not to be distracted, but to hear what you'd want to say. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, obviously it's Mother's Day. Just one whoop whoop. That was it. This one whoop whoop. Um, who here has a mother? Let's hear. No. That was a joke. <laughs> Everybody's got a mother. So um, there's so I, I really like speaking on Mother's Day because. This may strike you as strange. But the thing about God that healed me and that I think is, uh, well, satisfies me at the very deepest level of my soul is how much like a mother he is. And I'll explain that here in a minute. Because like some of you macho men are like, I want a tough guy. Well, yeah, he's a tough guy too. But um, you can take anybody. But and so could Jesus clear out the whole temple. He wasn't afraid of anybody. So God's the best of a manly man and the best of a womanly woman all wrapped up in one. That's what he is. But the thing that that we need to know, I think, in the deepest part of our soul, um, isn't. And I got to be careful. I told I filled out Susan's Mother Day card this morning. And I said, I could be wrong. Maybe technically this isn't right. But I don't feel like, um, and maybe it's our brains, the things we associate with a strong father, that's what we need first and foremost to become healthy, thriving people. And perhaps that's why we spend so much time with our mothers at the front end of things. It's all about mom, 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 mom. And she kind of lays the foundation. And then we graduate to dad, you know. Yeah, grab that bale and you know whatever. Follow me out and you know go milk the cows and whatever and try it again. You know, be a man, right? But we got to start out with mom. And unfortunately, a lot of us didn't get anything right, right? But what's interesting is, how do you know that it was wrong? In our brains, we all have some sense of what it was supposed to be what the perfect mom was and what the perfect dad was. And some of you guys got nothing. You got, you got, it was just like wreckage, but you know what you should have gotten. At least you have some semblance of an idea what you should have gotten from mom and what you should have gotten from dad. And that's why you're mad at your mom or your dad because they weren't that perfect thing. Well, God is that perfect thing. And somehow I missed the mom part for a long, long time. So 
I've been racking my brain this week and I'm like, God, where does it say very clearly in the Bible that you are like a mother? And I'm not talking about, I said, I want a, I want a statement that says you're like a mother because I can go into, you guys know, you've heard all the sermons. You can go into Rahum and that attribute of compassion and that comes from a womb and that's got the first attribute out of God's mouth when he's telling, you know, describing himself to Moses and then that compassion has lived out. But did he say, I'm like a mother? Does the Bible say I'm like a mother? So I was racking my brain. Where does the Bible just come right out and say God is like a mother? Quiz. Anybody got a good answer? Oh, come on. You put it up on the board? Oh, what the heck? All right, let's close in prayer. Oh. Come on, man. All that build up, and it was I was betrayed. It was behind me the whole time. Okay, let's read it. Oh, Lord, my heart is not proud, or my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters. Or in things to, actually, that word is really interesting. It's awesome. Um, it's an interesting word. It's where we get the word in Hebrew, signs and wonders, things that make you go, right? I don't involve myself in all that stuff about God. I don't try to answer all these questions about his metaphysical being and all this. I've composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother and then he says my soul is like a weaned child within me israel hope in the lord so the comparison here god's people israel the lord weaned child a mother this guy's saying i'm at peace because to me to my soul god gives me the same kind of confidence that a good mother gives to a child who's no longer screaming, kicking, demanding to be fed, but he just knows mom is the source of it all. So like a weaned child, my soul is like a weaned child with me. Weaned just means you're no longer breastfeeding. So why does that child want to be with mom? It's not just because mom is the refrigerator, you know, she's the food source. There's something else that makes those kids run to mom. And when you're a little kid, mom is the best. Mom's just the best. And uh, yeah, I think probably for the rest of your life, mom is the best. And as strange as this is, dad has a more profound shaping influence on what you become. But, and again, some of us had, you know, some of you guys had really bad upbringings and and this is hard to make sense of but you're going to have to work with me and imagine that you had the perfect home or near a perfect home or even somewhat perfect home but like my boys they love their mom um my words have more power to shape them and move them in this direction or that direction or to feel approved or whatever but man they're just they just absolutely love their mom and uh so this guy's saying, because God has built into me the same kind of rest and peace and relationship that a child has in a healthy child-mother situation, um, that's why I'm at peace. 
And if we don't figure that out, and if we don't work that out in our souls, uh, some of us can be very religious. We can be very driven. Some of us, if we just think of God as uh, only with fatherly attributes, we'll try really hard. We'll strive. Um, we want the approval, but there's not that rest. And I think for a healthy Christian, you have to start with, no, it starts from a place of rest. And, and you come into that place of peace. You know you're loved. You don't have to earn mom's love. You got a bunch of babies in here. I was going to borrow one and just come up here and hold the baby, uh, you know, but then they'd start crying. Why? Because they want mom, right? Um, but you start from that place of peace. And then if you're secure in that love, then dad can push you because you're building on a foundation of acceptance and love. And, and it's, you're not trying to earn anything. And it's like the mom and dad team, I think, are the perfect representation of what God is. So this guy says, well, it's David, of course, the machoist of macho men. I mean, yeah, I mean, he killed Goliath. He knew he could kill Goliath because he had killed a lion and a bear. Anyone here kill a lion and a bear? You know, a liar. You're a liar. I'll tell you a funny story. You've heard it before. I, I've been up in the hills with the Maasai, you know, the lion hunting tribe. You watch them on the Discovery Channel. They jump up. They jump really high. They can jump like about three feet high for about a half hour. That's like one of their their uh, little rituals that they go through. They also hunt lions. And they're not physically imposing people, but they're mentally terrifying. So everybody in... in uh, I've done a lot of stuff in Kenya. You see a couple of Maasai walking down the street. They're, they could be as thin as rails, but these, like, these guys don't mess around. They kill lions. They're not afraid of lions. And that's how you used to graduate from being a boy to being a man. You'd have to go out and kill a lion. So uh, when I was staying, you've heard this. Some of you guys have heard this. I was staying with the Maasai up in the hills, doing some ministry out there. We built a children's home way back in the day. I was out, believe it or not, I used to jog in the morning. You might find that humorous, but I used to do it. And uh, I was like, I wonder what would happen if I faced a lion. Would I have the internal feel of a Maasai warrior? And they carry, they've got a stick, called they've got a spear, they've got a sword, they've got a throwing club. They're just not afraid of anything. I remember asking one of them, they're black mambas around. Like, what do you do? Black mambas are faster than humans. What do you do about them? He's like, oh, they're easy. He's like, they put their head up and they put a beat on you. And then you know where they're going. So you just step aside. You wait till they get there and you thump them. That's how you take care of them. That's... So these guys are mentally just. So I'm, I'm like, I wonder what happened if I faced a lion, man. Would I have that inner fortitude of a Maasai warrior? And then uh, why am I going into all of this? I don't know, but it's a good story. I'm lost. I'm lost. No, but uh, in Africa, they keep these little yellow dogs. These little tiny yellow dogs. They come. They don't come up to your knee, but you have. You, you know, if you have a hut, you got three or four of them, and they're your alarm system. If a hyena's around, or there's an animal around, or whatever, and they're just like dup, 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 little dogs. And so I'm walking, and it's dark, and I can't see. And I'm like, oh, come on, if I can make something. 
And all of a sudden I hear this, and I've got these little yellow dogs around me. I'm like, like I'm terrified. And it's like, you think you take out a lion? You're afraid of these little yippy yellow dogs, you big baby, right? Oh, I, I know why I said that, because David, David killed a lion with his hands. This is one bad dude, but he said, I need this. I need this. This is my foundation. This is my rest. This is where I get my peace. God is like a mother. And I can rest in him. Because I can rest in him, I can kill my Goliath. You know, you come at me with the sword and the spirit. I come at you, you know, with the name of the God of Israel, in the name of the God of Israel. You know, that's, that's where the fearless warrior who's sane and healthy spiritually, that's where they get their strength, is that God is like a mother. And I didn't get this for a long time. And uh, yeah, I'll mention, I'll mention, yeah, Susan's like, yeah, but some people aren't going to understand what you're saying. And I don't know, if you don't understand what I'm saying, come talk to me afterwards. There's a really good book. I think it's a really good book. Some people don't. Some people think it's it was heresy. Uh, it was called The Shack. And it was basically, this guy had been raised on the mission field. And uh, his parents were missionaries to a Stone Age tribe. And things happened to him while his parents were ministering to this tribe that shredded his brain. He was, it had, some of it was sexual abuse and all this. Um, and so then his view of God was completely scrambled. He felt like he was losing his mind. And he said, one thing I remember about this author, he said he, when he was younger, like college age, all our college young people are gone, not all of them, but like, what happened to everybody? Well, it's graduation today. So um, when he was like college age, he said he used to go out to the railroad tracks wait for the trains to come by so he could scream just so he could scream because his head was such a and uh yeah and he got involved in sin and he got involved in all kinds of other stuff and the shack is a metaphor an analogy an allegory it's figurative of of his healing but when god showed up in a form that brought healing to his soul it was, God was a large black woman. And when I read that, I said, my God ain't Oprah Winfrey, and I tossed it. I said, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But ultimately, when I studied the guy further, there was a black woman that used to love him like a mother better than his mother did. And basically, all he was saying was that for him to find healing, he had to first experience God as a mother. And then I read, and then I, you know, it's just like a lot of times we get offended. Like, why don't we just talk to the person a little more and maybe they're smarter than we are. Maybe they have a good point for saying what they said. I didn't. So I was the idiot in that conversation. Anyway, I listened to him talk. I'm like, that's brilliant. Cause that's exactly what happened to me. I found healing when I learned to experience those attributes of God that we typically associate with women and especially mothers. And, uh, I think I'm a pretty courageous guy, you know? I mean, I was up in the hills with the Maasai, you know? I've been to Africa 17 times. I've been to the other side of the world. I go into prisons. I, 
you guys, you're, I've heard all your stories, but uh, you know, I, 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 I do courageous things, but I'm not trying to earn anything from God. It comes from this place of rest. Um, and that's why Sam shared that passage where Paul said, maybe I'll die. Who cares? I don't care. That's a courageous dude. Why is he so courageous? Because he, first of all, knows that tender, compassionate, loving side of God. So I love this passage. Uh, Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother. A mother loves you. A mother accepts you. A mother forgives you. Uh, God won't do this, but a mother will break the rules for you. When dad wants to spank you, it's mom's like, come on, Harold, do we have to? We're keeping him home this weekend. He's not going to the dance. Dear, you know, right? A mom just wants to protect you and be gracious to you. That's why you need a mom and a dad. That's why dads are called the discipline because moms will take that too far sometimes. They'll err on that side of softness and grace. So God, so we really do need a mom and a dad. Some pe- Actually, some people have a mom that acts more like a dad and a dad that acts more like a mom. But I'm talking about in a perfect world. And the only reason we know that's screwed up is because we have this vision in our head of what the ideal is supposed to be. But the mom is the one who comforts. The mom is the one who nurtures. And then when I was praying about this, I'm like, what does the child know about mom that is so amazing? In a Again, in a perfect... I don't, I know some of you guys, and I'm like, I'm so sorry that this doesn't really make sense to you because you guys got a bad hand dealt to you. But it doesn't mean this isn't true. And I'm sorry for what you went through. Let's figure out how to find healing so then you don't pass on the same curses to your kids. Because if you were under a bad mom and you don't find healing, guess what? You're going to be the bad mom. And then they're going to be the... So we have to like stop these curses and if you're a bad dad, under a bad dad, you're going to become a bad dad. So when, we, when we're redeemed, God starts to rectify this, turn it around, clean it up so that we can start reflecting how it's supposed to work. And that, that takes a lot of work. But I was saying, what does this child in a more or less ideal situation, what is he thinking? Why is he at such rest? And this is what I think. How do I say this? Mm, it's hard to it's hard to even say this about God. I don't know how not to say it. He loves me <laughs> more than he loves himself. That's why a child, it see, you're like, blasphemy. Isn't that blasphemy? I don't know. Sure sounded like it. Is that blasphemy? I don't know. Let's look up. Well, what did God do when he put on skin? What did he do? He took your death. He took your death. He said, is that, when you die for someone, are you saying that person is more important than me? Them existing is more important than me existing. And that, that is the ultimate expression of who God is. That's why a child rests in his mother's arms. Because a healthy mom that kid is her life. She loves that kid more than she loves herself. Right, Danielle? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't even know what love was until you had that baby. And then you're like, oh my goodness. You hear these stories about women 
you know, attacking mountain lions. I'm serious. That are going after their kids, lifting cars off of their kids. They're just insane. With love, they have no regard for their own safety, reputation. Your child's a mass murderer. Everybody in the world forsakes them. Who's going to show up at prison? Mom. Do you know God like that? Everybody's like, oh, I know God loves me. I'm just terrified he's going to throw me into hell and he hates my guts. He's not going to forgive me and he's make my life difficult. And if I screw up, he's going to break my leg and, you know, whatever. Like, you don't know God like a mom. Because uh, 1 John says, what does perfect love do? Cast out all fear. That's why Paul could say, all right, I'm in prison. Probably going to take my head off, but that's all right. Because God loves me. Yeah, but that's probably not going to happen because since God loves me, he always wants what's best for me. And what's best for me, I figured it out. I've discerned what's best. It's best that I get out because God loves me so much. He wants me to be fruitful. And he, want, he loves you too. And part of you being blessed is me getting out of here and helping you guys. So Paul said, that's probably what's going to happen. But either way, I can't lose because God loves me. So this is interesting. I used to pray this passage all the way through. I'm trying to, I don't know the exact time period, but when I was working on my first master's degree in Greek New Testament, all this lofty scholarly meh, meh, meh stuff. I would I would pray this all the time. Lord, don't let my heart get proud or my eyes get haughty. Keep me from involving myself in great matters, as in theological biblical studies and you know, advanced theological exegesis and you know, all these 25 cent words, ectypal, archetypal theology, immutability. That's what they do at seminary. And I used to pray, God, don't let me get caught up in that because that's not where the action is. That's not where my rest comes from. That's not where my peace comes from. And I just would always pray, God, help me keep it simple. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Help me to be like a weaned child resting against his mother. And I was just meditating on that today. I'm like, hallelujah, God got me through it all. Because I went through Moody Bible Institute and then I went through Denver Seminary and then I went to Trinity and then I even went back again at, you know, to another PhD program. And I thought, this is not, God, God, I told you this, but God's like, just leave, just leave. They're lost. This philosophical approach to God is not the way you go deep with him. You have to start with this very, very simple childlike trust. And I learned all the theological stuff. I know it. I know it. And I, you know, in my classes, I've got piles and piles of papers. And I went to the colloquium and the seminar and, you know, man. But ultimately, it comes down to Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. God loves me like a good mother. And someone needs to learn all that stuff because you need to be able to Really, what I need to do is I need to help a lot of those guys to come down off of that 
they think they're getting closer to God. They just built a tower of Babel. It's getting them nowhere. And again, you can learn it, but it's not going to make you a better intercessor. It's not going to make you love people more. It's not going to make you a better husband. Actually, Paul said knowledge puffs up. A lot of times studying all that stuff just makes you arrogant and difficult. Oh, here comes brother so-and-so. He's going to be talking about the Reformation and, you know, and church history and theology. It's not where the action is. And, I, and again, I've learned it all. So I'm not saying don't learn it. But where the action is, is this very, very simple, simple place. So there's something else I wanted to talk about. This is how God wants us to know us, like, you know, to know him like a mother. And uh, dad, you can have this same feeling as well, because in Psalm 103, which I think is the most beautiful song in the whole Bible about the nature of God, who's memorized it, most of it, put your hands up, put your hands up, encourage those people who haven't. Beautiful, beautiful. First time I read it, I'm like, this is too good to be true. This couldn't be true. This couldn't really be who God is. Pardons all your iniquities, heals all your diseases, redeems your pit, your life from the pit, crowns you with kindness, hesed, and compassion, satisfies your years with good things, so your youth is renewed like the eagle. Yeah, that's all poetic exaggeration, blah. No, literally who God is. And then in the middle of it, he says, just as a father has compassion on his children. So fathers, we can, we can have the same kind of feeling for our kids. Some of you new dads, I heard someone say recently, I never knew I could love like this until I had this child. But I think mothers, it's deeper. Just naturally, it's more profound. That's the way God feels about us. That's why we can relax. That's why it doesn't matter how much you have sinned. You can be forgiven. Will your mom forgive you? Are you saying your mom's natural love is somehow greater than God's love for you? Impossible. A mother's love is just a broken down kind of a relic of what God's love is. It, it gives us something on earth that we can kind of see a hazy vision of what God does, but it's really, I was reading in C.S. Lewis, and C.S. Lewis said he was talking about something else, but he says it's like, I'll borrow his, his comparison. He said it's like the reflection of the sun in a dewdrop. That's your love. Moms, that's your love for your baby. A reflection of the sun in the dewdrop. God's love is the sun. It's bigger. It's greater. And if you get it, you're like that baby that just doesn't have a care in the world because that baby knows this person loves me more than they love themselves. They would do anything for me. They want my best. And I prayed this. I'm so glad I prayed this through theological seminary because I think the devil's number one goal in messing with our minds is that we don't discover this and hold on to this. And so I think in our theological schools, the devil has infected the place with philosophical understandings of God that say everything but this. And then our pastors are trained and then they come out telling us about sovereignty and predestination and power and immutability and everything but the fact that God loves you like your mother, 
but way more than your mother. And so what he's actually doing is he's sabotaging the brains of our pastors so then they keep you guys from being free. Free of fear, free of shame, uh, just wildly courageous like David charging out against Goliath. And I think it's all spiritual warfare. A lot of you guys have gone through steps to freedom. Who's all gone through steps to freedom, right? Wow, it's a bunch of you guys. Steps of freedom, is, is there's nothing magical about it. It's just using the Bible to find the lies in your head. This is the biggest lie, who God is. Is God like your mother who loves you more than he loves himself? Because that's what love is. Love wants the best for the other and will sacrifice all for the other. That's what it is. And Jesus was love incarnate. And so what did he do? He laid everything out for us. That's who God is. He said, he has seen me, has seen the Father. The heart of all spiritual warfare is your vision of God. And so a lot of times we'll go through those steps to freedom. We don't, that's, that's the one flaw. A lot of times I think in those different spiritual warfare sequences we go through is we don't attack our vision of God. And uh, I don't want to go into too much detail here, but why why the church and our theological schools are so out of whack is because we're a part of creation. So here's a line. Here's creation. God's not a part of creation. What he is over here, we have no idea. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't function according to the laws of physics. He doesn't have to do things in a temporal sequence. He doesn't. We have no idea what an uncreated being, who's a trinity, how he functions at all. So he'll say a few things about, yeah, that's what I am. But then it's like, don't even try. Don't even try. Well, then how are we supposed to walk with you? He says, look, guys, I'll put on a human suit and I'll come over to your side of things. That's what he does. All the way back to Genesis. I'm going to put on a human suit and you can just engage me there. What we do at seminary? is we say, oh, that humanness, that human presentation of God, that's too lowbrow. That's, that's not philosophical enough. That's not impressive enough. That doesn't make us intellectually proud enough. Well, some Galilean carpenter's son, come on. I mean, just walked around with the bleeding heart, healing people and loving people and sinners flocked around. You know, there's got to be something more. And so what happened in Christian history Instead of taking the simple presentation of an infinite God who can't be comprehended, coming to us in a form that's very much like us and letting us vigorously engage him. Super smart dude said, yeah, I wonder what the pagan Greeks had to say about infinite God. Seriously. They say, let's go borrow all the stuff that they had to say about this infinite God. What does the Bible say about trying to understand God in his infinite form? Don't mess with it. There's something there. Don't mess with it. How are we supposed to know God? How he came in the form of Jesus Christ. That's it. Is there more than that? Well, duh. Of course there is. He's God outside of creation. There's infinitely more than that. You can't process the data, whatever. How are we supposed to know God? And in a way that, you know, some four-year-old off in the other room, we could explain to them, you know, your way your mommy loves you. Yeah, do you think that if a bad person came in the room, you know, your mommy, well, of course, mom would protect me. Do you think if you were hungry, your mom would want you fed? Well, of course, mom would want me fed. It's, right? That's how you need to know God. 
is that all there is to God? Well, no, but we're, we're kind of ignorant and small. And uh, God said, don't mess with that. This exact same root, I don't mess with things too wonderful for me. That's what the guy backs away from in Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know, you know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thoughts from afar. You've scrutinized my path, my lying down, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, Psalm 139, he's talking about God's everywhere present. God has all the power. God knows everything that's going to happen. And the psalmist says, too dumb, can't go there, can't do that math, can't do those physics. So the reason we get sabotaged in seminary is that we say, yes, we can. We can know this. So the psalmist says, such 139, such things are too wonderful for me. I'm back in the heck away. I'm just going to walk with God the way he's always showed up and walked with people. And ultimately, the way he comes to us in Jesus. Jesus is our God. He's not all there is to God, but he's all we can handle. He's God condescending to us in a way that we can have a relationship with him. How do we pray to God? God, you are the kindest, most compassionate, most wonderful person in the universe. You don't like it when babies are sick. So I'm expecting you to heal that baby. And you don't like it when people are lost. I'm expecting you to open that blind person's eyes so that they can see the glory of the gospel. You don't like it when marriages blow apart. So God, I don't care what everybody's saying. You're going to bust in there and you're going to fix this thing because you're the kindest, most compassionate, loving, generous person. And then the theologian comes along. Yes, but we must take into consideration the sovereignty of God and the foreknowledge of God and the immutability of God. And blip. By the time they're done, you're just like, what's the use? I need to go to a psychotherapist. It's like, no, it's simple. Like a weaned child rests against his mother. That's the secret. That's where the action is. And that's where the miracles are. And you're not saying, I got God in my back pocket. But you're saying, hey, he's come to me in a way that I can enjoy. Honestly, when he really shows you himself in the way that he wants you to know him, you can't stay on your feet. Sometimes tough guys and tough girls come and they hear this. I've been in prisons and, you know, in different places and uh, the waterworks start, you know, it's like, oh, I'm too tough. I don't do that. I don't, we need it. It's, it's what we're all yearning for. We need to know that God loves us like our mother, but better. And because of that, we're secure and we're safe. And he loved us so much, we could almost say the fatherly side of God said, justice, you broke the rules. And the motherly side of God said, so we're going to take away the rules. Not by breaking the rules, but by me keeping all the rules and then paying all the penalty that they deserve for breaking the rules. So there's just no barrier now between me and them because I love them like a mother. That's what the gospel is. Yeah, we're all guilty. God said, well, let's just get rid of the law. That's what he did. That's what, go read Colossians 2. He took it out of the way. He nailed it to the tree. There is no law anymore because God had to have you. He's like, oh, I can go out and do every, anything I want now. No, because then he invades you with his Holy Spirit and then you start to act like he does. Then God lights up your heart with this supernatural compassion, not just for your baby, but for all kinds of people all over the place. You start feeling like he does and you start getting involved in situations that you don't have any business being involved in because 
It's the love of God that's reaching out to a broken world. So, maybe this is a good point to share this. That's what living is. Living is figuring out who God is, how much he loves you, letting him forgive you for all of your malfunction and sin and destruction that you brought into this world and then put his spirit in you so then you start to love all the people around you like he loves people that's it that's christianity so uh we're gonna be susan and i are gonna not gonna be hanging around long after this uh service because um how do i say this as a christian God will give you assignments and he will melt you for certain people, right? You love everybody. You do what's right for everybody. You're generous, you're kind, you're hospitable. But then he gives you assignments and he gives you like a little bit deeper sense of that compassion that he has. And uh, so, and uh, I mean, I don't want people to feel bad and, you know, does Ted feel that way about me? And that's not the point. The point is you get assignments and that's great fuel, man. Like, just like a mother will put up with all kinds of stuff. There's only a handful of you guys, honestly, in the room that God broke me like that is because you needed inordinate amounts of patience from me. Now, there's other of you that God broke someone else's heart in here for you. Like you and you, right? You too, right? And then you were their assignment. And so they're just going after you and going after you. So anyway, it's but it makes life wonderful to share the heart of God and then be able to reach out with that love and compassion because then you get to experience what it's like to be God and why it's so much fun to be God. It's fun to be God because you love people with this kind of redeeming love and then you get into their dark situation and you fix it. I hope this is all making sense. God loves us a lot like a mother, but it's so much greater, just like a reflection of the sun and the dewdrop. God's love is a son. He wants us to be restored to him, so he took away all our sin. Why? Because he loved us so much by taking our sin in his body on the cross when he came in the form of Christ. But then we're born again, the spirit of God. Romans says the love of God's poured out within our hearts. And now he's trying to make us function like he does. And that's what living is. It's just getting in situations where you can feel for others and bring them out of their darkness and bring God's redemption and love and grace, et cetera. So I, I've said this before, but uh, Chris, you weren't the easiest guy in the world to work with, right? You know that, right? But God's doing some great stuff. First time I met him, first time I met him, I said, God, break my heart for this guy. Break my, and he's talking. It was over at the corner house. First disciple spouse talking, talking, talking. He told me something and just broke my heart. All right, I can put up with some stuff here, right? I remember there's a guy in Denver. He was, he was a street kid. Impossible. There was actually a movie that, anyway, long story, that was made about him. A film. He was in Hollywood, and then he came to Denver. Um, I said, hey, talk to me about your life. He told me about his life. Broke my heart. Nobody else could stand the kid. I'm like, look, I will put up with all kinds of stuff for this guy because God has touched me with his compassion for this guy. One story, he, he told me a couple stories about his home life. 
when he was a little kid for Christmas, he got a new bike. His mom was a psychopath, just a psycho. And so was his dad. Got a new bike. Um, she called him one, one time, come home. He didn't come home. So she took a hammer, smashed his bike. And then when he was like 15, his dad said, here's, here's 500 bucks. Run away. Just get out of here. So anyway, scrambled in the head, right? He told me these stories. I'm like, dude, I love you. I'm, you know, I don't mean to embarrass people, but same thing happened with Brandon Jones. When he was a teenage kid, came to my office, told me how crazy his life was. Didn't seem to realize how crazy his life was. He seemed to think it was normal. And I just went, ah, no. Well, there's a little girl. We're, we're leaving her early because there's a little girl. And I told you this story, I think, a couple of months ago. A lot of it. I'll try not to go into too much detail. She was at our last church. And uh, the woman who did the music, her children brought the neighbor's kids. And there's these two beautiful little girls. One of them was probably six and one of them was eight. Just the sweetest little things. And as soon as they heard the gospel, they're like, we want to ask Jesus in our heart and we want to be baptized. But then uh, I met their mother and holy cow, she was scary. So sorry if you ever hear this, Jamaica, but we're good now. She was scared. She had just her eyes were like, you know, like, don't mess with me and don't mess with my kids. And yeah. And she'd been through horrific, traumatic stuff. One of the things was that kind of started it all off was she was a lifeguard. And uh, when her little brother was swimming and she died on his watch. And so that just led her into a life of drinking and immorality and having kids that buy different men and whatever. And so her little girls, what's that? Yeah, she didn't die. Her brother died. Hopefully you guys caught that and straightened that out. Maybe these little girls are coming, but mom is like, don't, don't mess with me. Um, uh, but anyway, the one thing I knew about one of the little girls was that the dad didn't want her. And so when I just heard that, and the story's glorious, mom got saved, kids got saved, she married a Christian guy, we're all friends. That's the, that's the uh, cliff notes on that one. But um, I used to always pull her aside because that messes with you when your dad doesn't want you. Some of you guys know about that. And it messes with you when you're adopted. Why didn't mom want me? It messes with you. You're not valuable. You're not lovable. You know, and if they don't want you, why would you think God wants you, right? So I said, she just got me. That little girl, she just got a hook in my heart. And so I used to always pull her aside at church and I'd say, you know how loved you are. Do you know how precious you are? Do you know how much God loves you? You know what? I was just like, intentionally, I want to make a beeline for her. Why not her sister? Well, I didn't feel quite as sorry for her because her dad still loved her. Even though mom was crazy and dad was out there, he still loved her and he still pursued her. But this girl just broke my heart. So I'm always telling her that. And I remember the day we left. I just have like these kind of memories. I remember her crying. Um, just when we're saying goodbye, because it's a really sweet goodbye. It wasn't a normal run the pastor out on a rail kind of a thing. It was, we're leaving because God's calling us somewhere else. And I just remember her little teary eyes and just this little girl. And then the last time I think we saw her was her parents said, uh, I don't know, five years ago, we're going to let each one of you kids choose to do something fun with mom and dad. Um, and here's the limit of money and whatever. And she said, 
I want to go to Manhattan and see the traps. <laughs> like, that's so awesome, you know? And uh, so anyway, she's graduating from high school and she doesn't know we're coming, but I just want to tell her again. I want to tell her again that I hope she comes here. Why don't you guys all pray? She comes to K-State. That you're loved, you're valuable, you're important. So I'm just saying different people will hook you by the heart. They're your assignment. You get involved in their lives. And then you fight for them and you pray for them. And just like mom, you're playing the long game, right? This poor girl had to grow up in Ellsworth. I know all about Ellsworth. I call it Hellsworth. Place is a nightmare. Sorry, folks, if you're from Ellsworth, you're right. People don't like me say that, but I know what's going on there in these small Kansas towns. It was a nightmare. I don't even want to go into the crimes and the sins and the disgusting multi-generational nonsense. It's hard. It's a hard place to be. Somebody's guy wrote her a card and they said, hey, new chapter. Time for you. You get to make the decision on where you're going and all this. So anyway, I thought I could work that in. The point is, that's what makes life fun. It's not about scratching and clawing and getting. It's about tapping into this God that loves you more than you love yourself. And then being invaded by his love and turning around and love people. And laying down your life for people. And seldom do you have to die for him. But you have to die a little bit for him. You have to dig into your wallet. And you have to mess with your, you know, your schedule. And, Right? But the joy, you get to experience a little bit of the joy that God experiences being God. And that's why he made us in his image. He made us in his image so he could redeem us, so he could clean us up, so he could fill us with his love, so we could turn around and experience the same kind of joy that he experiences being God and getting involved in situations where he saves and redeems and heals, just like in Psalm 103. So, yeah, that's probably pretty good. That's your Mother's Day sermon. Those are just some meditations for you to think about. Do you know God that way? Or is your God some harsh, demanding, tax taskmaster, jump, jump higher? No, you failed. Go to your room. I'm not talking to you for, you know, a week. That's not God. And if you get established in how kind and compassionate, it doesn't matter how tough you are, you know you need this. You need to be able to just rest raise your hands and worship let the tears flow man i'm set i'm set i'm fine nothing can touch me nothing can stop me i'm at rest like a weaned child against his mother and then you'll go out and you'll do all kinds of crazy stuff read about all these heroic missionaries and you'll do little things whether it's go to a little girl's graduation or whether it's going to the prisons or whether it's go after people on the street or believe that some insane person that nobody thinks can be helped. You believe, yes, that person can be helped because I know God and I know his love for people and I know his love for me. A lot of us are like, and I was a crazy and he fixed me so I know I can get in this situation and be his emissary, be his agent. So, Yeah, I don't know what the application is. The application is, if you're not seeing God this way, you are duped. Paul says in Colossians, see to it that no one takes you captive, Christians, through philosophy. God is not a philosophical puzzle. He's a person, foundation. He's like your mother. And building on that, he's like a really good father. 
um, 1 Corinthians 3, or 2 Corinthians 11, I fear that just as the serpent deceived Eve, you too, Christians, will be led astray from the simplicity of Christ. Go learn all this stuff. Learn your Hebrew, learn your Greek, read your patristics, can't even say it, patristics, your Latin, your fathers, your Reformation, your post-Reformation dogmatics, all your 25 cent words. And I'm just like, whatever. I got, I got to get down to business. I, I need, I want to be sane. I want to be whole. I want to be healthy. I want to get out there and make a difference. And the love of God centering on that is the only way that that happens. So I'm going to pray and uh, we'll wrap this up. Um, yeah. And then do like we normally do have a little bit of time for prayer at the end for any needs you might have. So Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And you are a father, Lord. We don't pray God our mother. That's not what we do. Your Bible, your Bible doesn't say that. Jesus didn't say that. You are a father. And there's something about that being uh, the main way we conceive of you. Um, that's the way you want us to come to you. Um, but as the perfect father, Lord, you have all the attributes of a perfect mother. And I thank you so much that you will always forgive us. You always have hope for us. You always want to redeem situations. You always want to make us better. You always want to make us fruitful. You always want to raise us up so you can be proud of us and what we've accomplished and what we've become. Um, yeah, and I just pray in Jesus' name that strongholds will be destroyed in our hearts and our minds if we think anything different of you. Thank you for this Psalm of David. We love you. And we just pray that this work, uh, this word would do its work in our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.